Hey, everybody. Welcome to the CCV Students Podcast. Eric Voris, how are you doing today? I am terrific, Jared. How are you doing? Fantastic. Glad to hear it. Hey, we are here this morning with David Yee, a longtime coach, amazing dude, triathlete, which I want to talk about, uh, and also a licensed counselor, therapist, psychiatrist. What do you call yourself? Uh, clinical psychologist. Clinical psychologist. That Fancy sounds term. amazing. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, and you're here because we want to talk about anxiety. But before we get to that, let's just relax a little bit because everyone's yeah. anxious in the studio. Sound guy Ben is judging us. Uh, you are training <laughs> for an Ironman right now. Yes, I am. And you ran a triathlon yesterday and you are here. You're yes. like walking and moving around yes. today. So I did not I did not drown. I did not become one of the bodies at the bottom of Tempe Lake. Oh, um, uh, uh, are there many? That's a thing, I think. Okay. I'm, I'm wow. told that's a thing. Good to know. Um, so I didn't drown, <laughs> didn't drown, didn't crash my bike. Everything's okay. Man. Uh, what are, okay, I'm going to display my ignorance. What are the distances of like swim, bike, run? So it depends. It depends okay. on which one. So like the one I'm going for is an Ironman. So that's a uh, two and a half mile swim. Uh, 112 mile bike, uh, 26 mile run. That's that's like as long as they get. So you run a marathon after you've already done those other two things. That's right. That sounds like wow. I mean, nothing but respect. But that sounds awful. <laughs> it is. I, I sometimes like you get mid 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 like swim. I'm thinking like. This is stupid. Why am I doing this out here? I'm in the I'm in a wetsuit a mile from the shore. Like this is I'm gonna die out here. This is the stupidest thing I could have signed myself. It just up gives for. me anxiety thinking about that. A <laughs> yeah. mile offshore. Mm -hmm. wow. Yeah. How how do you not drown once that idea pops in your head? Yeah. Well, I mean, like death is a strong motivator to keep you swimming, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> so it's it's good to keep going at that point. You know, we're out there in the middle of water. You can't just like stop and take a break. So you just keep going. And this is your first Ironman? No, this would be my first Ironman. Yeah, are, so are you going to get the tattoo? Um, if my wife lets me. I want to, of course. I don't know why you would do it without getting the tattoo. Um, uh, but, you know, she's like, you're going to get the tattoo? So eh, we'll have to negotiate that one a little bit later. <laughs> I just love the phrase, I don't know why you would do it without the tattoo. And I feel like there's a lot of other areas in life that you could apply that to. <laughs> it's like, if, if there's not a tattoo at the end, then I don't know if this is worth trying. <laughs> why, would you, why would you go to the grocery store if you're not going to get the tattoo? <laughs> What is your strongest event? Run, uh, bike, or swim? Bike, for sure. I like the bike a lot. Bike's the most fun. Nice. Even after 109,000 miles or whatever well, you no, said it I was? I mean, of, of course, it, like, your butt hurts really bad after about like 80 miles or something like that. <laughs> so it's, it's, it can get kind of nasty. But, um, but still, compared to, to running the distance or compared to the, to the swimming, the bike is still the most fun. Your butt hurts after 80 miles. That should also be a bumper sticker, like on the, <laughs> on the back of a semi-truck. If I was a trucker, that would be in huge letters on the back of my truck. <laughs> All right, when's the race? Oh, the, the big race isn't until November. So I've got like four other like triathlons in between now and then of just different distances trying to work my way up to the big one in November. You're going to do four triathlons leading up to this just god-awful test of your physical prowess. Yeah. Yeah, we got to get ready for it. And right. what are you up to right now? So the one I did yesterday was um, what they call an Olympic distance, which takes about three hours for me to do. Um, uh, all, the ones that I'll do, the three over the summer, one in May, um, uh, one in August, and then one in September, those are all half Ironmans. So those are like combined between the three distances, about 75 miles. It takes about like 
you know, six, seven hours or something like that for me to do. The, the big one at the end will take me about like 12 or 13 hours to do. Wow. And how many, how many hours a week do you average training to prepare for this? Well, it, it, de- it depends. You know, um, I got a family and a job, so they kind of they get mad <laughs> if I spend too much time training. Um, uh, I need to spend at least 10 to 12 hours a week as, as on the minimum side, um, uh, sometimes a little bit more than that if I can squeeze time in or something like that. So a lot of getting out on the road while everybody's still asleep or when, you know, people are doing other stuff, then I can, like, get out there and get some miles in without ditching the family too much. Yeah. Wow. That's well, I have never felt more out of shape in my entire life. <laughs> right now. Yes. <laughs> I, yeah, and then people are going to see me in real life and they'll be like, that guy? Like, he's like, seriously? Like, I can. Well, yeah, but then if there's ever like a horde of those crazy fast moving zombies after everybody, you're the last man standing every time. Well, I'm not fast. You know, well, I you can, just have to I just outlast everybody. I'm just stubborn. I'm not really, <laughs> I'm not really athletic. I'm just really persistent. I just and keep. I, <laughs> I've never heard of a swimming zombie either, so... <laughs> that's true. He just jumps in the water, and while everyone else drowns, he just keeps on going. Yeah, yeah that's my strategy. Captain America would Lure them into Lake Pleasant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so David. Yeah. Uh, we know you've been a youth coach. This is probably going on seven years? Uh, something like that, yeah. 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 Before you were a youth coach, you were a youth pastor for 10 years. Yes. And you decided to get out of it to do what you're doing right now. That's right. Tell us a little bit about that. So when I was doing um, student ministry, I used to work at a, at a lot smaller church. Um, the whole ministry had like like 40 kids or something like that. So I was the smaller staff, only like two pastors, including myself. Um, but one of the things that like I really noticed going through student ministry is that there's a, there's a certain margin of kids that traditional programming just really has a hard time meeting their needs. Um, so, so kids with developmental disabilities, kids with um, mental illness, kids with uh, mood disorders, kids with substance abuse issues. And oftentimes, you know, we get these kids in our program and we do the best we can to try to minister to them, to try to pray for them, try to minister to their families. But then it'd be, you know, let's hook you up with somebody who's a little bit better qualified to, to deal with what you're dealing with. Um, and it was, it was kind of hard to find those people all the time, you know. Um, and I decided that I didn't want to keep sending those people away, that I wanted to be that person, that, um, that there's like a, so, someone that would be available to kind of reach those kids that, that traditional ministry just kind of has a hard time kind of keeping them in the fold all the time. So I uh, okay. ended up feeling like I really like the counseling part of ministry um, more than like the, the teaching part and way more than the admin part. So, <laughs> so now I get to do that as just like my main gig, you know. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, we, we're, we're pumped to have you on the episode today on the podcast. Um, I know our coaches uh, are probably asking lots of questions about how they can do a good job because we just know anxiety levels are rising amongst teenagers. And that's where we just wanted to spend some time today. So can you just give us some, some more professional context to that? Like anxiety on the rise for teenagers? Well, I mean... The first thing is that, like, probably if there's any coaches listening to this, maybe they're listening for advice on how to deal with their kids, but they're probably, like, wanting tips for themselves because, like, anxiety is a thing for everybody, you know? Um, there's not a demographic that is not experiencing problems with anxiety. That's that's true for teens. That's true for children, unfortunately. Um, that's true for, you know, young adults, uh, marrieds. Like, every single demographic, anxiety is a problem. Partly because, like, anxiety is just 
the normal experience of being a person. You know, life is kind of um, life is kind of messy sometimes, and either the stack on the stress side starts to get really high, and it feels like it's more than you can handle, or you don't feel like you have enough in the tank to tackle whatever it is that's in front of you. Those kinds of things get out of balance. That's what anxiety is when you don't feel like you have enough for the whatever struggle it is that's in front of you. Um, so, so everybody deals with anxiety, but um, but as far as like all the statistics about everything being on the rise, that's that's for sure a huge thing. You know, um, uh, if if you participated in church the last few months or so, Ashley just finished his series on anxiety. Probably, you know, he quoted some stuff in there about number one like epidemic proportion kind of disease in America right now on the rise over the last decade and everything as far as number of people seeking counseling, uh, number of people on medications for anxiety. Um, it's just it's just through the roof. It's 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 a huge thing. And and that doesn't really need a lot of explanation for me. You just have to be like a human that exists on this planet to kind of look around and see like people freaking out about their anxiety. You know, just go on the internet for five minutes um, and in your Facebook feed, there's like people complaining about their anxiety or talking about what's what they're stressed out about or something like that. You don't have to very, go very far to find it. Yep. Yeah. Totally true. So talk to us a little bit about uh, what you're referring to, what we all deal with versus the clinical side of anxiety. Well, yeah. So, so certainly, um, I mean, anxiety is a helpful emotion. Like if you don't have anxiety, you don't keep yourself safe and you don't get anything done on time. You know, anxiety is the, is the part of your brain that keeps you from doing something stupid. It's the part of your brain that makes you turn in stuff when it's due, makes you get dressed and showered when you're going to go present yourself to people. Like we need anxiety in order to just be responsible, right? Uh, but sometimes what happens is that um, for, for a, a wide range of reasons, there's not like one specific reason, um, anxiety itself becomes the problem. Instead of being the force that gets us to work harder, it becomes something that overwhelms us. And there's a certain kind of curve that once you once you cross a certain a certain threshold, lo- anxiety is no longer motivating you. It's overwhelming you. Um, and then it starts to kind of shut systems down inside your brain. Anxiety becomes the only thing that you can think about. And it's no longer going to um, light a fire for you. It's going to be something that starts to, to slow you down, starts to, you know, you start to obsess about things. You start to become unhealthy in the whole thing. So um, that's what we talk about when we talk about clinical anxiety. And the, the thing is, is that everybody, even a person who doesn't have a diagnosable like illness, right, will have moments in life where anxiety is over the top and they just feel like they can't handle it. Now, there's probably, I don't know, I'm, I'm assuming just because uh, you live in the same world that I do, that there's probably been some moments that you've experienced where you felt like, I just can't sleep at night, or I just can't get my head to stop spinning. I can't, um, I can't breathe right now. I got to get out of here, or something like that. Those kind of moments. Um, and so everybody has a few of those moments. But if you get into a, a pattern where those things are happening on a regular basis, they're keeping you from being able to function like you want to. Like I can't go to school anymore. I can't go to work anymore. I can't go to a family functions anymore. Um, I can't leave the bathroom. I can't like <laughs> get to the grocery store. Um, once it starts keeping you from being able to do your day-to-day life, right, now it's a clinical issue that needs to be treated medically or professionally or something like that. Yeah. I think that that difference, like that you define that so well for coaches who are going to be dealing with students who like this generation more than any other is kind of self-diagnosing, right? Like they, they have the verbiage and they, they can just raise their hand and be like, yeah, I have anxiety. Uh, but coaches can kind of help pinpoint like, okay, are you just anxious because you're 13 and, and you're a human or 
are you stuck in the bathroom all day and we need to deal with something. Right. And, and certainly, like, uh, whether you're an adult um, think trying to look at yourself or trying to think about the kids that you work with with anxiety, and that's I know that that's a lot of who, who we're talking to is kids who work with teens or teens themselves. Um, and you try to compare, like, what anxiety is like from, from generation to generation because certainly, like, today's teenagers experience way higher levels of anxiety. Um, now, is that partially because we're diagnosing it more and because we understand it more? Yeah, that's probably true. Um, and to be fair to that whole situation, like being a teenager itself is an anxiety provoking situation. You know what I mean? Just, <laughs> yeah. just being an adolescent, whether we're talking about middle school, whether we're talking about high school, whether we're talking about like young adult college kind of age stuff. Um, it's just a scary messed up time in your life. Uh, <laughs> I was trying to think of the times in my life when I was most anxious as a teenager, um, and for me, it was the social stuff. That was the stuff that freaked me out the most. So uh, going and talking to a girl for the first time, getting shot down by said girl, having my friends make fun of me for, like, approaching a girl that was way out of my league. This, was, this, <laughs> yeah. is, like, this is, like, the traumatizing thing of, like, being a middle school student or something like that. And, like, that kind of anxiety is 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 so like, is developmentally appropriate. You yeah. know what I mean? You're, you're supposed to freak out about those kinds of things. Eric, what did you freak out about? Anxiety? Uh, it was almost always girls. Uh, I dated a straight-up crazy girl for a year in high school, <laughs> and that was a very anxious year for me. <laughs> Learned a lot, though. When I was a sophomore in high school, my dad was my high school principal. So that, that gave me anxiety. It gives me a little bit of anxiety just remembering that season of life. But I remember the day he called me into his office and he let me know he had resigned from his position and we didn't know where we were moving to. Um, that season of life, my sophomore, junior year of high school, moving to a new school, figuring out a new life, that's the most real anxiety I can remember as a teenager. Yeah. And so there's there's like a few topics where it's like dating, finding a peer group to fit into and whether or not you're actually accepted or wanted, right? Um, uh, in some families, like, how good are your grades? Am I good enough? That that performance, like, fear of failure kind of anxiety. Um, there's certainly, like, a part of your brain that really kicks in about middle high school where you start kind of thinking, wow, pretty soon uh, I'm going to have to be an adult and I have no idea what I want to do with my future. Um, that's a normal anxiety. There's also... Um, like a weird existential anxiety that starts to sit in around like 15, 16, where you're, I don't know if you had this experience where you're, you're maybe it says something about me, uh, where, <laughs> where you're like 15 years old and you're laying in bed and it's one of those nights where you can't shut off your brain and you start thinking, it's like, what would it be like if you just like, like stopped being, you know? And like, like if, what would that be like to just like not be there anymore? And then your brain just kind of gets caught on one of those crazy, what's eternity like kind of loops and then you end up freaking yourself out, making yourself cry or something like that. Am I the weirdo or does anybody have that? No, I used to constantly have this thought that like, what if I woke up and realized that my whole life up to now was a dream and I was some <laughs> totally different dude in like a different country who was like 30 and I had dreamt the last like 14 years of that, my life. That's not normal, man. That's, okay. Yeah, I've, okay. <laughs> I have a lot of stuff I need to work through. We should talk later. I, I think you guys have just watched one too many uh, um Matrix marathons. Yeah, yeah probably. Oh, that movie was huge in high school. <laughs> so, right. yeah, but no, so those things, obviously, like, those are normal anxiety kind of things, right? 
And then there's some of those things where you can kind of get stuck in your own head. Um, most adults have had experiences like that, that kind of anxiety. But some of the things that have kind of ratcheted up for this generation that that they deal with in ways that we haven't had to deal with in the past. Um, and in this part of the conversation, most adults are going to immediately go to social media um, and they're going to just like jump right on that thing. Well, they're addicted to their phones and the constant dinging and um, uh, the need for approval and the likes that you can get. And all of that's valid. It's 100% genuinely feeds the anxiety monsters and the social acceptance monsters. But that's not really the only thing that's different from generation to generation. Like I was thinking, I uh, had an experience just, just a couple weeks ago where um, I'm at work and I get a text message from my wife um, uh, and, and she's like, uh, Tay's on um, uh, shelter-in-place mode right now which if you're not sure what that term, that's the term that the Peoria School District uses, meaning that they're on lockdown, right? That the school is on a lockdown, which in your mind immediately goes to like gunmen on campus or something like that. Now they use that same procedure for medical emergency on campus or, or just strange person, or maybe there's a police incident in the one mile radius around campus or something like that. But your mind immediately goes to Oh my goodness! This is like a like they're in lockdown mode right now, and so sure enough, like we're freaking out with our anxiety. But can you imagine what it's like to be, you know, my sixteen-year-old son, um, sitting there like at his desk? Like, is this a drill? You know, is this a kid? You know, vaped too hard in the bathroom, or is this like, am I going to start hearing gunshots pretty soon here? You know, and that's that's a culture that we didn't experience. You know, um, uh, but kids talk to me all the time about this anxiety, this constant kind of. Um, I mean, we we dealt with that not too um, a couple years back, where a kid had posted some like threatening kind of messages in the school bathroom, and then literally half the school did not send their kids to school that day, right? Um, and so my son is like living with this kind of world where, like, they're practicing what it would be like to have a gunman on campus or something like that, um, and that's not something that we ever dealt with in in our generation, or or not only that, like, so there's social media, there's like the the sensationalized news, the violence, the kind of safety kind of seeking stuff that we do as a culture. And then the way that we talk to the kids about their futures nowadays, and, and this has been something that's true for every generation, um, but even, even just 20 years ago, um, the expectation to go to college or the expectation to have a certain GPA or to have your future mapped out in front of you, it, it was different back then. It was actually considered, you know, you, you could go get a job or you could go join the military or something like that. But um, now like 85% of kids are expected to, to have good enough grades to attend college or something. And they start drilling kids with this stuff when they're like in like sixth grade. You know, it's like you better get your, you know, English grade up because colleges are going to, if it's between you and another candidate, they're going to go back and look at that. No, they're not. They're, they're really not. <laughs> they're not. If your college is looking at your sixth grade English scores, then that's a weird college. You probably don't want to go to that school. <laughs> um, uh, but but we start freaking kids out about this stuff. And so so some of those things just, they ratchet up the way that kids experience anxiety in ways that 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 we can kind of try to wrap our brains around it. But having not grown up in that culture... Uh, we're just not going to get it the same way that they get it. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about, I'm a youth coach. I've got a student or multiple students in my group, and I know that they're, they're dealing with some higher levels of anxiety. They're in my group. How do I do a good job as their youth coach? Well, so so I guess the first things that I would say, and this this gets a little bit tough for me because I try to, try to just divide 
like my parent parent role, like my therapist role, and my job as a youth coach. You know what I mean? Um, and so what I have to constantly tell myself is like, like, okay, David, which hat do you have on right now? Like right now, you are youth coach. And I think that that's going to be the same thing for, for any youth coach that we're talking to is just kind of like, okay, stay in your lane, okay? You're not mom or dad right now. Um, that is not your job to be their parent, right? Um, and also, you are not their therapist. Um, uh, you are their youth coach, and that is... I don't want to say that that's all you are because that like almost sounds like I'm kind of diminishing that role, but like no, that that's an important role in a kid's life. Um, so don't take yourself out of that role by trying to pretend like you're their mom or trying to pretend like you're their therapist. So so kind of stay in your lane a little bit. Um, so that'd be the first thing I would say. Um, and what I mean by that, I guess, is kind of don't feel like it's your job to diagnose it as a, like a thing. You know what I mean? Um, be there with the kid who's right in front of you. So if you've got a kid who's trying to talk to you and they're kind of hyperventilating a little bit and they're trying to talk about what they're stressed out in their life or they're trying to talk about how anxiety affects them, um, just listen. Just just stop thinking and stop trying to figure them out and just listen. You know, be fully present with them, paying attention to them. You know, um, if in the back of your mind you're trying to diagnose them or you're trying to think about like um, what deep issues probably causing all of this kind of stuff, then you're not really paying attention to them. You're paying attention to your theory and your brain, and you just need to shut that off and just be there with the kid, you know. Um, so so just be fully present. Um, uh, stick with your guns. You're there to be their spiritual mentor. So spend a whole lot of time in prayer with that person, you know. If, if ever, this is kind of like a, like a, like a safety button um, uh, as a youth coach is that if you're ever in the middle of a conversation and— uh, you feel like the conversation's kind of ramping up and you're starting to kind of get out of bounds to where you know what to handle, a good way to, like, de- like get the conversation back on track is, hey, you know, let's just pause for a minute. Let's spend a few minutes just kind of praying. Um, <laughs> um, I'm going to bring—let's bring somebody in here, and, and, and we're going to, like, we're going to hold some hands, and we're going we're gonna to spend some time in prayer. That kind of, like, takes the anxiety of the conversation for a few minutes, gives you a few minutes to kind of center your thoughts, kind of figure out what you need to do. So, so go to your go-to, which is um, listen, pray, um, uh, build community, like uh, try, to, try to bring in the natural supports that are, that are supposed to be there for a person. I'm not even sure if I'm answering the question right. I'm just kind of I think my that's tangent. exactly right. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah, absolutely. And I think our coaches need to know, like, hey, this probably isn't one conversation. Right, right. This is this is hopefully if you're doing a good job with what David's asking us to do. If you're listening and praying and building community, you are opening the door for that student to trust you and to keep having that conversation with you. Because maybe maybe they're not having a conversation with anyone else. Right. And you want to make that safe, you know, because there's there's so few adults in a kid's life um, who they feel don't have some kind of agenda of their own. You know, that's one of the problems that kids complain about. It seems like all the adults in their life have some kind of, like, extra agenda or some sort of, like, measurement they're, they're using that they can't quite live up to. And so um, kids are on such filter whenever they talk to adults, you know. And so, so what can I do as a youth coach to not be one of those people who this kid feels like they need to filter in front of me? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So keep it safe in that kind of standpoint. And that's, it's going to be natural, I think, to be trying to— um, 
trying to kind of triage in your brain, you know? Um, so you've got like 16-year-old kid, 15-year-old kid, and they're kind of freaking out. Um, is this like a thing that I need to go and get extra help? You know, I need to get some support. Um, is this one of those things that I'm going to have to like talk to a parent? You know what I mean? Am I going to have to talk to one of the pastors and like like do that kind of red flag kind of thing? Of course, there's a little bit of that going on in the back of your brain. So um, um, so lean on your co-coaches or lean on like other adults to like, hey, this just kind of happened. Like, am I handling this right? That's totally – I think that's totally an appropriate thing to do. Exactly. Um, uh, but yeah, so so don't feel like um, I guess that'd be the thing is don't feel like you have to fix their problems or figure them out right then and there. You know what I mean? Um, I don't need to come up with a label for them. I don't need to like pray this out of them at this point or another. Um, I don't need to. I don't even need to dig and find all the information right now. Whatever that kid wants to give me, I'll take it. You know, I'll receive as much as they want to give me. But it's not my job to go mining through their childhood and find, like, every deep, dark corner that might be there. That's not the right time for that conversation. And what you're talking about is a common conversation that comes up at summer camp. Hmm. You know, you just experienced some powerful message. You know, Mark Moore challenged you to deal with your sin or whoever. And after group that night, a student sits down and starts sharing with you, and maybe some of what they start sharing um, is some deep stuff. And I think what you're saying right now is so important for our coaches to hear that I don't need to fix right now, and Mm -hmm. I don't need to dig right now. I don't have to get into the nitty-gritty of this stuff. I Again, I got to go back to what I'm designed to do as a youth coach. I'm designed to listen. I'm designed to pray, to encourage, to support. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a doctor. So um, anything else you would add for that camp conversation that sometimes comes up? Yeah. Well, I mean, if if there's this kind of tough balance between um, like you don't want to dig and try to plant stuff there that's not not really there or that it's not your place to kind of do that digging. It's not the right time and context. But if a kid is actually like raw and open, we don't ever, we never want to shame that because we're freaking out. You know what I mean? If, if they've got something that's on their heart that they want to share – um, being that safe container that they can kind of go to and express themselves. And you keep yourself in line emotionally so that they can have their meltdown and you be there just to be the steady one in the conversation. You know, So you check your own anxiety and then you go decompress that with your co-leader or with your pastor or something like that afterwards so that you can kind of get your own help for that. Um, but I guess the last thing I would say about that is, is, is whatever assumptions you have about what might be at the root of everything, just like kind of check that at the door. That's not helpful right now, you know? So assuming that they have some kind of chemical thing in their brain or assuming that some sort of traumatic thing happened to them or assuming that their parents are evil and are the cause of all this, whatever. Um, those, whatever theory you have in your brain about why this kid is the way that they are, just kind of check that at the door. It's not helpful. Um, uh, and it's going to take you out of your role, which is like this person is sitting right here in front of me. Um, uh, like how can I just see them fully without trying to figure them out or trying to solve them in some way. Uh, and if if you can kind of like check yourself that, even pray to yourself like, it's like, okay, I know that this conversation's coming. So-and-so like shot me a text message during free time that they wanted to talk after group tonight and I know it's coming, you know. Take a second, like, okay, God, like clear away my agendas, clear away my, my assumptions. Uh, just help me to be calm and help me to be fully present uh, with this kid who's sitting here trying to pour their heart out to me. Man, that's so good. It also, this might be weird, but eerily sounds a lot like uh, great marriage advice that guys get all the time. (laughs) 
Like you just keep saying stuff that I'm like, man, this is all stuff that my wife keeps telling me. <laughs> it's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, don't try to fix me. Just listen. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I still haven't figured it out, but yeah. it's, it's good advice. Yeah. David, I, I'm not the only one that gets that. Yeah. <laughs> David, thanks so much uh, for your time with us today. If you were to give our coaches just one quick takeaway, what would you tell them? Um, I guess, and I'm not sure if, um, I guess the way that I would, one of the things I would say, to whether I'm talking to a coach um, or I'm talking to a student directly, is that, that you already have within you everything that you need for the situation that's been put in front of you, right? Um, so whether that's, a camp conversation with a kid who's having anxiety or who's having some kind of emotional thing. If you're sitting there across from that kid, then for whatever reason, you're supposed to be there, right? You already have within you everything that you need to be fully equipped for that conversation. You don't need some sort of special kind of training or some sort of special kind of degree. Uh, You're a human being, you're God's child. You have that within you. So go do it. You know, don't be timid. Don't be shy about having a tough conversation or about listening to someone's pain, um, uh, you are fully equipped for that, you know. And whether whether maybe you're the person who's experiencing the anxiety and you've got this, it seems like this mountain of things that are here in front of you and you just can't handle it. But, but the truth is, is that you already have within you everything that you need for whatever that thing is that you're facing. It's, it's, it's inside of you. Um, you might need some encouragement to help bring it up. You know, I mean, you might need some, some help to kind of clear away some of the debris that keeps you from being able to be your best self. But but it's there's 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 not something bad about you that keeps you from being able to rise up to that. So it's um, the strength that you need for the conversation or for the task. It's already there. You're already enough for that. It's awesome. Hey, thanks again. Uh, this is such an important conversation, and I just want to encourage all of our coaches. Uh, let's be let's be prayed up going into camp. I know that's just right around the corner as we finish our sixth episode here. And uh, we're going to have a great camp season. So coaches, thanks for being a part of these first six episodes. We're going to continue putting out more episodes and probably branching off, trying some new creative things. So uh, thanks for being on board uh, as we try to figure this out. Me and Eric are grateful that you're listening. Yeah, we have microphones and an audio guy, and we're just going to mess around. (laughs) All right. Well, coaches, uh, keep working at your craft as a coach. We know when the coach gets better, the whole student ministry gets better. Have a great week.